Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 12. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter number 12. And we'll begin reading with verse 1. Isaiah 12 and verse 1, And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord, Jehovah, is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall you draw waters out of the wells of salvation. I was, as I told you last Wednesday night, I have been really uh, not just reading through, but have been carefully studying uh, the book of Isaiah. It's a very intricate book. We know that the book of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah is the messianic prophet, and there's many prophecies that are within it that pertain to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Lord manifest in flesh. But uh, this particular verse, verse 1, caught my attention as I began to read this, and it said, In that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. And um, by the Lord's help this morning, and I hope this title is not too generic, but it's just what I have. I want to preach, God's too merciful to stay mad. God's too merciful to stay mad. Let's lift up our hands and our voices once again to the Lord, and let's pray for his touch, his help, his strength, his anointing in the remainder of this service. Jesus, we're asking you, God, to move and to work in this house as only you can. I'm praying, God, for your touch, your divine strength. God, I pray that you'd quicken our minds and our hearts to your word today and help us to receive from it, help us to be helped by it. I pray that it would challenge us, and I pray, God, that it would offer a correction to our course. In Jesus' name we pray. And would the church help me worship the Lord right now and let's just give him praise and thanksgiving again. <coughs> Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Uh, contrary to how many in Christianity define and betray God, God is capable, according to his word, of growing angry. He is capable of the emotion of anger. I think a lot of times in the current cultural gospel that is being preached it seems that the attitude is is that you can come to God in any way that you desire to come to him and you can stay in whatever lifestyle that you choose and God will continue to accept you that God doesn't reject anybody God doesn't have any guidelines for accepting anyone or saving anyone 
but that could not be further from the truth this morning. I do believe that you can come to God as you are, but don't stay in the same condition that you have been. I believe that it is God's desire that he deliver us from sin, that he bring us, the scriptures set out of darkness into this marvelous light. It is his will that we walk a separated life from the world. It is his will that we be saved from sin. And it's his desire, it's his desire that every person have that opportunity. Because my Bible said that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible does speak about the subject of repentance. Can I tell you that the only way to be redeemed, the only way to have a relationship with God is to repent of your sins. We can't whitewash that. We can't uh, take that away from the Scripture. We cannot in any way camouflage the need for that. Everybody here has to repent. Everyone in this place at some point in your life is going to have to see your absolute need of God, have to be drawn by His Spirit to an altar and repent of your sins. And to repent actually means to turn. It means not to continue. Repentance is not just to obtain God's favor, to continue on in my old lifestyle and the way that I have been accustomed to living. But to repent means to literally turn and to live differently, to choose to walk with God and according to his word which we know is contrary to the world. Amen. The Bible talks about at one time you walked according to the course of this world. All of us know what it is to be on the path of ungodliness. Every one of us that have been saved from sin, we know what it is to be on the course of this world. Uh, not really in control of everything. Not, not actually able to control everything that was going on in our lives. But thank God when we came to an altar. Oh, thank God when we repented of our sin. We got off the track of this world. Amen. We were, we were headed down a one-way street of destruction. But thankfully, and because of God's grace and his mercy towards us, we were able to change. Many of you tried to change on your own and were unable to do so. Many of you tried to alter your life and were unsuccessful. You went to the support groups. You, you tried the various steps. You tried to uh, seek counseling and endeavored to change on your own. But it didn't matter how many books you read, how many seminars you went to, how many counseling sessions that you attended. Nothing brought change in your life until you came to an altar, until you met Jesus there, until you repented of your sins, and that's when the work of salvation began in your life. I know a lot of folks don't require that anymore. I know that that's not popular religion today, but it's still a necessity, and it's still a part of God's Bible that you need to repent of your sins. 
Amen. If you're going to come to God, you can't remain in the same attitude and frame of mind that you've always been and expect him to receive you. But if you come to God, you've got to come on his terms. You've got to be obedient to his word. Amen. Praise God. The Bible said, let God be true and every man a liar. Praise God. It didn't matter how people try to soothe me and say that I'm all right and things is okay with me and those that try to, to place disclaimers and say, well, this is why we don't require as much today in the culture that we live in. This is why you can get by and you can live any old way that you choose or that you want to. But I'm telling you, God in his word, amen, gives us a strict requirement that we must repent of our sins in order to find God in his mercy. There is evidence throughout the scripture where God did not even endeavor to conceal his anger towards men. There's examples when he not only grew angry with the heathen, and the idolaters and the pagans of the day or other nations that were not his own. But it seems that no one angered him more. There was no one that he expressed this emotion of anger towards any more than his own people and his own children. I've said it before, but let me say it again that there's no one that can bring emotion out of you like somebody that you love, somebody that you care for. There's no one that can cause you to be disappointed or despondent or angry with like someone that you really care about. These were his children. This was the people that he had set apart. These were the children of Abraham, these were children of promise and it seems like even from the very beginning God was angered and God could get despondent and disappointed with his own. Even when we look back to the very beginnings of the Bible, it wasn't but six chapters into the word of God that we find the assessment of Noah's generation and it says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowl of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. When God began to assess this particular generation, when he looked down upon this people that he had not long ago created, he saw their sinfulness. He saw the wickedness, the evil. He saw how debauched and ungodly that they were. And it angered him so much that he said, I will destroy them. I'll wipe them off the face of the earth. 
I am God, I am sovereign, I am the one that created them in the first place and I have the right. I can make the choice to wipe them into oblivion. He repented so disturbed, so angry, so upset and let down by this people that he makes the statement that I repent that I've even made them or created them. But yet as you read on in the story, even though God was angry, even though God had gotten to the place, it seems, of, of making the decision of totally wiping them out, he was so mad and angered with his people that he was going to pass judgment upon them and not just upon a few, but upon all of them. And wipe the slate clean like an eraser on a chalkboard. I'm just going to wipe them into oblivion and start over again. Not only them, but I'm so angry at them that I am going to destroy every creeping thing. I'm so hostile with them that I am going to take the fowl out of the air, the fish out of the sea, and I'm going to destroy the cattle that graze in the field. Every living thing is going to die with them. But as you continue to read, you find that God is too merciful to stay mad. For in verse 8, it says, in one of the most wonderful verses of the Bible, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There was a man that lived righteously in a debauched generation. There was a man that was swimming against the current. There was a man that was willing to go against the tide of the world. There was a man that said, I don't care what the rest of society is doing and the sin that they're involved in, but I am going to choose. I made a decision, and I have made a commitment to serve God and to be faithful to him and to do his will. Others may be going with the flow. Others may be living any way that they choose. Others may be happy in their sin. But I know that there's a God in heaven that's just pleased with this sinful generation. I understand that there's a God in heaven, amen, that deserves, he deserves better than what his creation has given him. And I am going to live for God and I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to do my best. And we, we don't know how much Noah even knew about God. What type of relationship was even available to him at this point. But I believe that this was a man that endeavored to live as best as he could before God. What was it that was different about Noah than the rest of his generation? I'll tell you what it was. Is he had a consciousness about him. He, he, he knew without any words being said, without a preacher even preaching, without a Bible to read, he knew that when he sinned, this is wrong. This isn't right. Amen. I've transgressed against God. I'm stepping over the borders of what God wants and desires and what his will is for my life. And without a Bible, without a preacher, without anybody to tell him or to keep him in line, Noah, in the midst of a generation that was 
was evil and exceedingly wicked stood up and said, I'll live for God. I'll serve the Lord. I'll do what's right. And could I just take a moment and say this, uh, that you're going to stand by, by people in judgment just like Noah that stood up when it wasn't easy and they lived for God and we're afforded all of these amenities here this morning. We have a nice house of worship. We come in. We've got beautiful music. Amen. We come and we've got a good church together with in our worship to God. But we're going to stand in judgment beside people just like Noah that stood up when nobody was encouraging them. They lived for God when it wasn't when it wasn't the cool thing to do. When it wasn't popular, they went against the tide and said, I'll do it. I'll live for God. I'll serve the Lord. Don't tell me you can't serve God. Don't tell me you can't live righteously. Don't tell me you don't have the capability to stand up for what is right. No, it did it against the tide of a whole generation of people that wasn't living for God. I'll live for him. I'll serve him because he had a consciousness about it. Oh, heed the instruction of the Word of God when it says to not allow your conscience to be seared as some have seared like it was seared with a hot iron. What's that referring to? If I know anything about burns and, and I have occasion dealt with situations where people were burned severely and one of the things the burn can be so deep and so involved in the tissue that actually the nerves are damaged wherever the burn is and you you cannot feel they tell me that a second degree burn even has more pain than perhaps a third degree burn does because there's not as much nerve damage there even though the damage is greater and more extensive and deeper and not as superficial there's something about that that burn going down into the nerves and damaging the nerves whatever the object is or the liquid is or the fire that causes this it is so severe that it actually causes damage to the nerve endings and destroys them. There's nothing worse than not being able to have feeling. There's nothing worse. You, you think, well, if, if this pain could be taken away, but that was one of the most destructive things about leprosy, and we type leprosy with sin, is leprosy was the type of disease that caused you to lack feeling and so as I read one time of a doctor that was in an African village and he watched little boys with leprosy reach down into a hot fire and pick up coals and move them without even flinching because they had leprosy they had lost the ability to feel in their extremities and so it was easy for them and flesh was literally falling off the bone and they could not feel it because they didn't have any nerves to feel what is your consciousness it's like nerve endings amen but it can be after a period of time it can be damaged 
It can be abused to the point that you cannot feel what you used to feel. I know what we feel in this room. It seems so available. It seems so accessible. It seems so near to us and the power of God. But you, you in yourself can get to a place that you transgress God and you transgress his word to a point that you have no consciousness and, and sin. You, you, you blurred the lines so much that you don't know the difference between right and wrong. And that's where we are as a nation. There's no moral guideline anymore. Everything has been blurred. Everything is a gray area. And there's no right and there's no wrong. I'm going to tell you that's where we need to get back to revival of God's word. Amen. We need to get back to hearing and preaching and teaching God's word because there's got to be a moral consciousness within us. As a society, as a country, we've lost our consciousness. I pray that it doesn't trickle down to the church where we begin to lose our consciousness towards God, where we can't feel conviction. We can't be disturbed by sin, that nothing upsets us, that we can sit through church services and not be moved and conviction can't reach us. That was Noah's generation and God said it angered him. But there was one man that still had it. I don't know how he did it, but he protected it. He guarded it. Everything that was going on around him, somehow or another he protected and he guarded that consciousness towards God and he said, this isn't right. I don't care if everybody's doing it. It isn't right. And he stood up against that current and said, I'm going to live for God. And he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. As angry as God had become, with this depraved generation, he still had empathy for lost humanity. As disappointed, as let down, as despondent as God was, he still had mercy, mercy that overcame and emerged even in the midst of anger. My Bible tells me in the book of Psalms, Psalms 103 and verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and plenteous, plenteous in mercy. Oh, that ought to make somebody, ought to make somebody want to lift their hands. Oh, ought to make somebody want to just say, thank you, Jesus. I know I've done a lot to disappoint you. I know I've done things at times to disturb you. I know, I, I know I've let you down. I know I've transgressed your word. I, I know I've made mistakes. But thank you, God, that you're slow to anger. I wouldn't be here today. Thank you, God, that you're plenteous in mercy. What about Moses' day? I mean, this was a people that God had brought out of Egypt on wings of eagles. Now, we know that that's figurative speech, but what he's really saying is, is I made it easy for them. I brought them out. I, I caused the Egyptians to thrust them out. And then when they, when they walked out of Egypt, I, I allowed them to plunder all the gold and precious things out of Egypt and take it with them. And I made them a wealthy nation. I breathed a highway through the Red Sea. I drowned at the Egyptian army. 
I let them drink water from a rock when they got thirsty. I fed them with manna every day. It fell on the ground. All they had to do is go out and collect it. Their shoes never wore out. Their clothes never tattered and tore. I let them with a pillar of cloud by day to shield them from the searing sun and a pillar of fire by night to keep them warm in that cold climate in the desert when the heat lifted it got very cold and they murmured and they complained and they talked about going back and they rebelled against the minister and the leader that God sent to them they murmured and they doubted what God was able to do after all of these things when the spies came back and said, well, we saw giants and we, we saw uh, the sons of Anak. We saw walled cities. I don't believe that we're able. They believed the evil report and they missed out on the promise and the potential that was before them. And God said, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to blot them out. And Moses, Moses, a man of God, one man stood in the face of an angry God that wanted to blot out his people. He stood in essence between God and man. This man Moses did and said, hold on just a minute, God. You know the promise that you made. You said that you would not slay the righteous with the wicked, that you would not put them to death along with the wicked. And God, your people's going to raise up someday. The enemy's going to raise up rather someday. And they're going to say that God is a liar, that God doesn't keep his word. Because you said, you remember you said that you would not slay the righteous with the wicked. God have mercy upon them. And God was intent on destroying them. And Moses got to the point that he said, God, if you're going to blot their name out, then, then I don't care how much you love me. Go ahead and blot my name out. I'll go with them because I don't want you to destroy them. And God, he turned aside. Even though he wanted Moses to get out of the way so that he could bring his wrath and judgment and destruction upon those people. But even in his anger, Moses was able to appeal to his mercy. And before there was a Calvary, before there was blood that was shed at Calvary, before, before all of that, in the Old Testament where there was a law that didn't have a lot of grace in it, didn't have a lot of leniency in it. God said, I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to show mercy to them. I'm going to give them another chance. I'm going to reach down to where they are. Why? Because God is slow to anger and he's plenteous in mercy. I said he's plenteous in mercy. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, what about Nineveh? Nineveh provoked God's anger with their wickedness to the point that God said, I'm going to send him a preacher, but it's not going to change my mind about it. It wasn't, it wasn't Jonah's preaching that changed or turned back the judgment of God against Nineveh. Nineveh 
was already doomed to be destroyed. God had already made up his mind. We know that Jonah, Jonah rebelled against God. Jonah went down to Joppa and paid his way down to Tarshish. Uh, but, but we also understand that through uh, some events that God allowed him uh, to have another opportunity to do God's will. And he ended up on the shores of Nineveh. And he began to preach, but he didn't have a burden. He didn't have a desire to reach them. Matter of fact, he was angry when God began to show his mercy upon those people. He wasn't one that had a desire to see them saved. He was glad about the doom that was coming. He was glad to preach about the judgments of God that was to go, going to take place upon the people of Nineveh. But you know what got the attention of God? You know what changed God's mind is when Jonah, a man without a burden, a man without a passion to preach what he was preaching, a man that didn't love any of the souls that he was preaching to, but, but Jonah, as he began to preach and, and that king of Nineveh began to hear the word of the Lord, he had enough consciousness about him. He had enough in his heart that he said, I can't keep living like I'm living. If that's true and if God's going to bring judgment, he got up off his throne, he took off his robe, he put on sackcloth, and he repented before God. And it was repentance, ladies and gentlemen, repentance that got God's attention. It wasn't the eloquent preacher that got God's attention. It wasn't anything else but a king that said, I, I'm going to find an altar. I've been on the throne long enough. I'm going to find an altar. I'm going to make things right with God. I'm going to repent. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter what position you find yourself in in life, how high you think you are, you're going to have to find an altar. The king of Nineveh had to find an altar. And someday, you're going to have to find an altar if you're going to be saved. You're going to have to get on your knees and say, God, I desperately need you. I repent. I repent. I repent. And God, that had already decided, a God that had already ordained it. A God that said this is the way it's going to be. That one action changed it all. Repentance. Repentance. And God extended his mercy. God's too merciful to stay mad. He loves you too much. Oh, we know there's a day of judgment that's irrevocable that's coming. We know that there'll be an eternity where no one will have the opportunity that we do today. But long as we're in this setting, as long as we're living in this time period, repentance is the thing that gets God's attention. If you can find it in your heart to repent, I'm not talking about crocodile tears. I'm not talking about get me out of a bind type prayers. I'm not talking about just till I can get back on my feet type of deal. I'm not talking about twisting God's arm and saying I want it my way and if you'll help I'm talking about repentance. God sent prophet after prophet to him. The silver tongue orator Isaiah the weeping prophet Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the man that had so much faith that he could preach to dry bones. 
You read it on and on and on. Come from different backgrounds, different lifestyles. Amos, man that just worked in the fields. And you could tell it by his language. He was a shepherd. He said, if I could just find a leg and a piece of an ear, I think that'd be enough to, to try to restore Israel. If I could just find some, some pieces here to put together. Expressing God's mercy. But even after all of that, they rejected him. They held their hand up in the face of God's prophets. They sawed Isaiah's head off. They put Jeremiah in a dungeon. Prophet after prophet. And all of a sudden, God goes quiet. God got so upset that he wasn't on speaking terms with him no more said, if you're not going to listen to Jeremiah, you're not going to hear Isaiah. And if you can't respond to the faith and the preaching of Ezekiel and all the other prophets that I have sent, that I'm not going to send anybody. And 400 years between Malachi Four hundred years of literal silence, darkness, evil, sin. And God said, I'm going to try one more thing. If they won't respond to Isaiah, and if they won't hear Jeremiah, then maybe I can get suited up in human flesh, and I can come, and, and maybe they'll respond to me. And the Bible says that Jesus said, Likewise, repent, or you'll perish. Jesus said, Isaiah can't move him. Jeremiah can't move him. Ezekiel can't move him. Then I'll give the altar call, fellas. And let's see if they'll respond to me. But I see him over the hillside of Jerusalem weeping, saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets, killest those that are sent unto thee. How long I would have gathered thee as a chicken would her brood, but thou would not. He never lost his love affair. Even when he was disappointed, even when he was angered, even when he was disturbed and distraught with them, he never lost his love affair with this people. Jerusalem! Jerusalem, I want to gather you. It's a hen would her chicks, but you would not. And the Bible says that he went to Calvary and he bled and he died. He shed his blood. He didn't. He, 
it wasn't accidental. I've heard a lot of people say, well, his blood was spilled. It wasn't spilled. It was shed because it wasn't an accident what he did on Calvary. He did it so that your soul could be saved. That blood was intentionally shed there so that there could be remission for your sins, the Scripture tells me, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, the Scripture says. There's got to be blood. There had to be pain. There had to be a time of going to the cross. There had to be a Calvary that was endured. Why? Because he loved you so much. Because he was so merciful towards you. And he said, this is all I can do. Even he said, what more can a man do for his friends but lay down his life? That's what I'm doing. I'm doing all I can do to try to save you. I'm doing all I can do to try to reach you. Can I tell you, if if Calvary doesn't cause you to respond, there's nothing I could say this morning. There's nothing I could do. There's nothing that I could attempt. The Lord just keeps reaching, and He keeps reaching, and He keeps reaching. Aren't you thankful that even when I've disappointed Him, even when I've let Him down, even in my mistakes, he's a merciful God. Would somebody lift up a hand to him right now? Would somebody lift up your voice to him and talk to him right now? Psalms 145 and 8, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Slow to anger and great of mercy. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place this morning. I feel the touch of God here. I was reading and studying some week or so ago, reading a book written by a Jewish man. And he was saying to the Hebrews, and I found this fascinating. And then as I began to think about it, I I, I saw what he was talking about. He said that they call the songs of Solomon, or the song of Solomon, they call it the song of songs. And to the Hebrew, he said there is not a book in the Old Testament that depicts God any more clearly than the Song of Solomon's or the Song of Songs. And then I begin to think about it. It it does tell us, I think of the second chapter, that you you see him as you look through the lattice. In other words, there's, there's parts of him that you cannot see. You don't you don't get the whole picture, but if you look closely and 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 there's and there's a little bit of discovery that is made through your searching and and through your hunger and desire for him, you get to see him more clearly. But at first, he peers through the lattice. And I've told you this before, but receiving revelation from God 
God feeds according to hunger and the more you desire to receive from him, the more revelation he'll give you. But I was fascinated by the fact that they said that this book depicts God to the Hebrew mind greater than any of the others. And I I thought to myself, well, it's one of the only books, we know that Esther's the same, but that that does not use the word God in, in the book anywhere. It's not it's not mentioned. And it's a story about a king that puts on a shepherd's robe and he goes out to a woman that he finds that is just in the wilderness somewhere and he falls in love with her and her with him. And she doesn't know who he is. She doesn't know that he's a king. All she knows is that she loves this man uh, for what he is. And then it is revealed to her later that he is a king. And he, and uh, I thought how that so marvelously depicts our Savior. He came to this world. There was nothing about him that, he, that made him comely to this world, the Scripture said. There was nothing attractive about him. But little did they realize that this was the King of kings and the Lord of lords that stepped down to his creation. He humbled himself and thought himself of no reputation, the Scripture says. And he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But it depicts him in a different role than any other Old Testament book. We seem depicted as a father. We seem depicted to Abraham as a friend. We see him in the role of a king. We see him in the role of a priest. We see him in the role of a judge. But the Hebrews said, if you really want to know who God is, here he's depicted as a lover that wants to have a relationship with a bride. And they said, that's who he really is. That's who he really is. Fell in love with this Shulamite woman. A woman that that, uh, was not raised in royalty but a woman that had kept herself pure and undefiled and clean. And he said, that's, that's who I am. He said, I, how, I, I want you to understand that more than anything, I want to have a relationship with you. I love you. I want to show mercy towards you. I want to draw close to you. I want to be near to you. I really do want to walk with you. I want to, I want to share. I want to share a relationship every day with you. That's me. That's what I am. And many of you are sitting in this room today and say, well, I can understand, Pastor Calhoun, how that he could could fall in love with this woman that is depicted here in the Song of Solomon. I, I can understand how he could fall in love with her. She was pure. She was undefiled. She was a young lady that was so clean and pure from the things of the world. Her brothers had been a wall to her. Nobody had been able to defile her or take advantage of her. She was so innocent. She was so pure. I understand him falling in love with that. I understand him falling in love with some that has never been scarred by sin, that doesn't have any any blights against their life. They don't have a bad reputation. They don't have any wounds. They don't have any scars. They, They don't have any of those things. They're so pure. They're so clean. Everything's so right. But what about me? Does he love me? Could he care about me? Could he show mercy to me? I understand the allegory here, I mean, a, a pure, undefiled, clean, 
protected, wholesome young lady, but that's not me. That doesn't, I mean, I've been in sin. I, I've tasted the world. I, I've been involved in all of that. Is there any hope for me? But the Bible gives me another book over there in the Old Testament by the name of Hosea. And the Bible tells me in the book of Hosea that God showed through this example Hosea was to go and marry a woman that was a harlot, a woman that had been defiled and used and abused, a woman that knew the ways of the world, a woman that was scarred, a woman that had blemishes on her, a woman that had a terrible reputation. And he said, I want you to show and I want you to depict that because I know there's going to be somebody. I know there's going to be somebody down through generations that's going to wonder. I, I understand how a king can fall in love with something that's pure. I understand how a king can fall in love with something that's clean. I understand how a king can fall in love with something that's undefiled. But what about me? And so I want you to show my people that I can fall in love with somebody and restore them and give them hope even when they have fallen, even when they made mistakes mistakes, even when they've angered me, even when they have let me down, even when they've walked away from me, even when they played the heart, I can bring them back and I can show them mercy. So I don't know what category that you think you fit in. I don't know where you think you come from today. Some of you may be sitting here, I don't know if I may have went too far. I don't know if I've done too much. I don't know if the scars are too deep. I don't understand if God could possibly love me. I'm coming to tell you, it doesn't matter if you've been raised in this church in a sanitized environment or if you're the worst sinner in this city. God's got mercy at this altar for you. I said, God's got mercy at this altar for you. Why don't you stand to your feet, lift up your hands to God, and let's reach out to him right now. You know what Hosea's name means? If I understand it correctly, his name literally means deliverer or deliverance. No, God doesn't love us to keep us right where we're at. But he loves us enough to pull us out of that. He loves us enough and is merciful enough to restore us and to keep us. Redeem us. Give us another opportunity. Another chance. Anybody feel like you need another chance today? Anybody feel like you need mercy this morning? Anybody feel like God? I botched it. I didn't do good. I made a mistake. God, if you give me a chance, if you give me just a little opportunity, a door of hope, I want to change things.
Repentance. Repentance is what changes the mind of God. It's repentance that releases mercy. It's God, I'm sorry. I don't want to be this anymore. God said, I know they angered me, and I know they disappointed me, and I know they let me down. But I'm far too merciful to stay mad. I want to give them a chance. Do you know the crazy thing about all this? It's still your choice. It's still your choice. God's not into twisting nobody's arm. God's not into forcing nobody's hand. God's not into making nobody or manipulating any situation. But it just stands there. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. I wonder if you got any conscious. I wonder if you got any consciousness towards God. I wonder if there's somebody like Noah that said, you know what, this ain't right. I'm not living right. I'm not going with the flow. This is not leading in the right direction. This is not taking me to the right place. God, I need you. I need you. I need mercy. Would you come to an altar? Would you come this morning and say, God, I need mercy today. I don't ever want to be guilty of letting my consciousness, my God consciousness, get damaged, be abused to the point that I can't feel Him reaching for me. As they sing this morning, come on. Come on. Church, help me pray. Help me pray. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I need your mercy. I need your grace. Anybody need his mercy? I need your help. Oh, leading oh, yes. the way. Praise Can't God. Can't make it without. Not for one day. Oh, I need your mercy and I need your grace. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Come on, let's reach oh, out to I need it. your mercy. Oh, yes. Thank you. Jesus. I need your grace. Praise God. Come on, somebody pray. I need your help. Oh, somebody reach out to him. Somebody call on him. Somebody seek him. Not for one day. Somebody need mercy. Oh God, I need your mercy. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need 
Let's sing it. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your hand leading the way. Well, I can't make it without you. Not for one day. I need your mercy. One more time. Hallelujah. Well, yes, I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your hand leading the way. I can't make it without you. If not for one day, I need your mercy. I need your grace. Thank you, Jesus. Would you raise your voice to him right now? Lift your hands. God, I need mercy. I need mercy. Yes, God, I stand in need of mercy. Hallelujah. Praise God. If any one of us makes it, it's going to take a whole lot of mercy. A whole lot of mercy. Amen. We won't get there by our righteousness that we have done. In the book of Titus, it says, but his mercy and the washing of regeneration. That's how we're going to be saved. Renewing of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Thankful for a merciful God. How about you? Amen. Praise God. Amen. I want to tell you young people something. I've said it once. I'm going to say it again. Sitting on these wings over here. When there's altar services like this. It ain't going to get it. I'd prefer you not do that. We've got plenty of altar space. And God knows many of you need to be down here praying. And so, um, no else to do it, but just tell you, you need to get down here. Seek the face of God when there's opportunities. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's lift up our hands to the Lord. And let's talk to him again. Hallelujah. Let's talk to him again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, you're, you're good to me. You're very faithful to me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to praise him for his mercy. Somebody ought to praise him for his mercy. Thank you, Jesus. Undeserving. Thank you so much for responding this morning. Grateful again for all of our guests that are here. Amen. Let's be back tonight. Let's believe God for a great time in the Holy Ghost. Choir practices at 5 and prayer will be at 6. We're going to have a good time in the Lord. Amen. God bless you for being here. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.